and uh, this week we're going to still be in Mark chapter 11. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to go ahead and turn to Mark chapter 11. But I want to begin with a few questions for you, and let's see if you guys can answer them. So an electric train is moving north at 100 miles an hour, and the wind is blowing from the west at 10 miles an hour. Which way is the smoke blowing? I have no clue what y'all are saying, but a couple of you said, yes, no smoke. Good job. All right. So if there are six apples and you take away four, how many do you have? You guys are good. Wow. None of you are from Michigan. Awesome. Okay. I get, a, I get it from Ohio as well. So I tried to do some math last week and they were like, oh, that's that Ohio mathematician. Yeah, it is. Um, we didn't have math in Bible school, so that's why I'm not allowed near the tithe. I'm teasing, I'm teasing. I don't go anywhere near it anyways. How many times can you subtract 10 from 100? Once, yeah, because the next time it would be 90. So yeah, all right. So a lot of these, you guys are good, but a lot of these we would consider to be trick questions being asked. You know, there were times when Jesus was asked trick questions. There were many times that Jesus was asked trick questions. And then there were times, and what they wanted to do, they wanted to try to confuse him because they wanted to find a way to convict Jesus and to show that he wasn't really who he was. They wanted to, to mock him in front of all of his listeners. On 25 occasions, Jesus was asked a direct question that required a simple answer. It's interesting that out of those 25 times, he only gave a direct answer back four times. In 21 of those occasions, he answered their question by countering with another question. So this week, I went ahead and read ahead to Mark chapter 12. And if you read through Mark chapter 12, there are seven questions that I circled that Jesus was asked just in Mark chapter 12. Have you ever thought about all the questions that Jesus was asked and what was the purpose in, in asking those questions? The, the first one, when, especially when Jesus asked the questions, they were probing questions. These kinds of questions caused the, the listener to really think. An example is found in Mark chapter 3, verse 4. The, the, the leaders, the, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and all of the temple people, again, starting very on in his ministry, they wanted to find a way to trap Jesus. They wanted to accuse Jesus of breaking the law. And this is how he responds. Mark chapter 3, verse 4. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? To save a life or to kill. The man had, had a withered hand. Jesus healed him. And they said, oh, you can't do that. That's against the law. And Jesus' response is, really? Like, I'm saving this man. I'm changing his life. And you want to try to bring the law into this. And so that's how he comes right back. So it's probing questions. Number two, there's also the personal questions. In, instead of just drawing out information, personal questions help people reveal their personal feelings about something. In Mark chapter uh, 8, Jesus has all of his disciples around him, and he looks at his disciples and he says, who do people say that I am? 
oh, well, um, you're Elijah, you're one of the other prophets, and they have all kinds of answers, right, about what everybody else thinks. But then Jesus brings it back, and he makes it really personal. What about you? Who do you say that I am? And they all kept quiet, didn't they? Except for one, who was always the first one to speak. He's asking you that same exact question today. What about you? Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that the Messiah is? What do you know about him? Can you answer with certainty the way that Peter was able to, to answer that question? And, and he's asking you that because he wants, to, he wants to really get in. It's probing, it's personal. And then number three, there's provocative questions. Now, these provocative questions create conversations and discussion, and that's exactly what we're going to find in Mark chapter 11, starting in verse 27. And I want you to notice that four different times the word authority is going to be used. So Mark chapter 11, starting in verse 27. And they came again to Jerusalem, and as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him. And they said to him, by what authority are you doing these things? Or who gave you this authority to do them? Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question. Answer me and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Answer me. I love that. Answer me. Do you, have you ever just looked at your kids and you ask them a question and they're like, uh... And you just have to say to it, look, look me in the eyes, answer me. And that's exactly what Jesus does here. Verse 31. And they discussed it with one another saying, if we say from heaven, he will say, why then did you not believe him? But shall we say from man? They were afraid of the people for they all held that John really was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we do not know. And Jesus said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. So here's a sentence to summarize the entire sermon, and then we can pray and go home. I know, right? Yeah. Um, I'm already getting you guys in the front of all of the lines, so just stick with me, all right? Here it is. If we say that we follow Jesus, we must live under his authority. If we say that we follow Jesus, we must live underneath of his authority. And I see three ways Jesus utilized questions that we can put into practice as well. So what can we do of what Jesus did? How can we put those in? Number one, absorb the question. Allow it to sink into our lives. I don't think that Peter, when, when Jesus asked that quote, well, what about you? Who do you say that I am? I don't know how fast G, uh, Peter answered that question. Maybe he did. You were the Christ. You were the Messiah. You were the Son of the living God. Maybe he just shot it right out. Maybe they just sat there for a second. And Peter didn't like awkward silence, so then he fired it out. I know I'm one of those. I, don't, I do not like awkward silence. I, I can't just sit there. So eventually I'm just going to speak. There was one time um, I was working on a farm, and uh, I was working with a father and a son, and neither one of them talked a lot, like at all. And they could go for like miles. They could go for hours and not speak to one another. Um, I can't do that. 
Like two minutes in a vehicle is like forever for me. And so we had been in the fields combining, planting. We'd been, we'd been doing it all day. We were trying to get the fields ready for wheat. And so we had been combining all day. It was, I don't know, 14, 15, 16 hour day. It was a long day. And we get into the truck and I'm driving and the father and son are sitting next to me. I'd picked them up and, and we're, we're heading back to the house to, to get our vehicles. And I brought a question up and, and I asked a question and I got a, yeah. All right, Ken doesn't want to talk. I'm going to sit here. And I asked Jason a question because I can't handle this. I asked Jason a question. Yep. Nope. All right, this is going to be awkward. And it was like, it was only a 10-minute ride, and it felt like an hour for me. Because I'd been sitting in a tractor all day, not talking to anyone, listening to the radio and talking to myself. And now I actually have human interaction, and they won't interact with me. I, I, I can't handle that awkward silence like that. But sometimes that's what we need to do. We just need to absorb the question and let it sink in before we start giving those back. So as we absorb the question, we learned last week that, that Jesus had, had cursed the fig tree. He had cleansed the temple. And then what did Jesus do? He heads back to Bethany. And he's going to be going back and he's going to be spending his time back in Bethany each day. And Mark chapter 11 verse 27 tells us what happened. It happened when? The very next day. So now Jesus is on Tuesday. He's going back into town. And they came again to Jerusalem. And as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him. So Jesus is using his temple as a classroom. And he walked throughout the temple. It was, again, it was massive in size. And so they were just walking through the temple courts. And he's teaching them all kinds of things as it was happening. Jesus had predicted earlier in Mark chapter 8 verse 31 that these three groups were going to again continue to try to trap Jesus. We read, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by who? The elders and the chief priests and the scribes. Jesus has already predicted that they're going to come after him again, and that's exactly what happened. The chief priests, the priests made up the upper echelon, including Caiaphas, who was the high priest. There were the scribes. These were basically the lawyers that were charged with interpreting the law of Moses. They also would write, handwrite the scriptures down constantly. There were the elders. These are the lay leaders, uh, and they were representing all of the major <clears throat> tribes, excuse me, and the families of Israel. So these people have now come. The leaders of Israel are ganging up against Jesus. It's not a one-on-one -on -one conversation. This is everybody ganging up because they've tried in the past with just one or two. But now even the chief priest is coming at Jesus at this moment. We see in verse 28 that they come with a two-part question. It's very bold and it's very blunt. By what authority <clears throat> are you doing these things? Or who gave you the authority to do them? Now their question reveals that the ultimate issue in all of life is authority. They want to know what he is doing and who gave him the right to do those things. Now, they're basically saying, who do you think you are? The interesting part is they actually had the authority, and it was okay for them to actually ask these questions. 
And that was their job, was to make sure that there were no false messiahs that were trying to rise up because it happened every Passover. Somebody would try to rise up and they would try to become the Messiah and they would quell and then the Romans would have to come in and, and, and these main groups of, of Israel, they didn't want the Roman authority to come in and to try to cause any problems either. So they're going to try to do it on their own. Here's the thing, the Jewish leaders right now are still doing that today because they don't want problems in the state of Israel, especially right in Jerusalem. It is, the, it is the Israelite authority that stops people from going up onto the, the, onto the Temple Mount. And as you go up there, they check you. You don't have any crosses, you don't have any Bibles, you don't have any weapons. And they go through all of the rules, no hand-holding, no touching, no kissing. Women, make sure your dresses are long. Guys, make sure you're covered the way you're supposed to be covered. You will do out of respect, you're going to respect what's happening with the Muslims that are up on top because we don't want any problems. So they're doing their part to try to keep the peace. And that's exactly what these three groups of people were doing. But they're asking, who do you say you are? Who do you, who do you think you are? I mean, they were scared. They were threatened by Jesus. It, it reminds me of the two elderly women in the south, they were sitting in the front pew and they were listening to the pastor. He was preaching and he was just giving a, a fiery sermon when their preacher condemned the sin of stealing. Preach it. Preach it, they shouted. Right on, reverend. Amen, brother. They, he came to the sin of lying. Oh, amen, brother. You tell them. You tell them. They're not supposed to be acting like that. And then the preacher condemned gossip. And these two ladies got very quiet. And they said to one another, now, well, he's went from preaching to meddling. <laughs> Jesus was certainly meddling in the religious leaders' lives at this moment, wasn't he? And that's exactly what was happening. The phrase, these things, refers to what he did the day before. He tore up the money changers' tables. He flipped it all over. He stopped people from crossing through from the Mount of Olives. Like, he knew what was happening, and, and these he was trying to stop. And they said the word authority means to have the right and might to do something, to possess, to have permission, unimpeded power to act. <clears throat> it was his self-evident authority that left a mark on the people. We go back to Mark chapter 1, verse 22, and they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them, listen, as one who had authority, the people heard what Jesus was saying and they, he spoke as one who had authority and not as the scribes. The scribes talked and they had a lot of words, but there was no authority behind those words. But when Jesus spoke, people listened immediately. Rabbis commonly quoted other rabbis when they taught. Jesus didn't need to quote anyone, did he? Seventy-five times. 75 times in the New Testament, Jesus declared, truly, truly, I say to you. He didn't need to quote other rabbis. He didn't need to quote any of the other leaders because he is the ultimate authority. He has the power. Notice that the religious leaders, they, they don't ask why he cleansed the temple. Did you catch that? He, they didn't say, why'd you do this, Jesus? Why? Because they knew that they were fleecing the flock. They weren't feeding the flock. 
they knew that what they were doing was wrong. They're basically asking Jesus for his credentials, the source of his authority. It's noteworthy that this same group of Peter, we go to Acts chapter 4, verse 7. Peter and John have healed a man. They're brought before the council, this same group of people. By what power or by what name do you do this? What authority do you have as well, Peter and John? It's the same exact power that Jesus had. You see, if we say that we follow Jesus, we must live under his authority. Number two, we need to answer with questions. I, I love how Jesus quickly demonstrates his authority by not answering their question. He, he turned the tables just like he did the day before. Physically, he turned the tables. Now, mentally, he's going to change and turn the tables once again. I will ask you one question. Answer me. And I will tell you by what authority I do these things. You see, Jesus is demonstrating the truth of Proverbs 26, verse 4. Do not answer a fool according to his folly. Jesus says, you guys are a bunch of fools. And I know you're not going to answer me, but we're going to try this anyways. And Jesus, listen, Jesus is not evading a question. Some of us, when we're asked a question, we ask a question back because we want to evade the question that's being asked. We see that a lot in politics, right? Like they know what they want to say, and when they're asked a question that they don't want to respond to, they ask another question or respond with something completely else because they want to evade. Jesus isn't evading here at all. Did you catch also that Jesus just flat out said, answer me? Look at verse 30. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? He's demanding an answer. He says, I'll tell you my authority if you can respond to my question that I'm giving to you. They're stuck between a rock and a hard place. However, they answered the question, they're going to be stuck. They don't have a good answer to his question. Look at verse 31. And they discussed it with one another saying, if we say from heaven, he will say, why did you not believe? But shall we say from man? Why? They feared the people, right? They were afraid of a revolt happening against them because of the power and authority that Jesus had. And the word here that, that's laid out, the word to discuss, it means to debate. So this big group of people gets together, and they have a church committee. You know, when you have a church committee, nothing gets done. Have you ever noticed that? Yeah. Sit around and talk about, you know, the color of the carpet for two years and never put in new carpet well, what type of vacuum cleaner should we get? Should we get a Bissell? Should we get a Dyson? And you debate it back and forth. Well, the money cost here and the money cost there. Well, just buy, just, just buy what you need to buy. You know, should we get different bids? Should we talk about different things? Yes, but we don't just talk about it. But they were getting a big group of people, and they were deliberating. They were discussing. They were trying to calculate how to answer Jesus. No matter how they answered, they were going to be in trouble. In Luke chapter 20, verse 6, we read that they were afraid, the leaders, the Jewish leaders were afraid of getting stoned. The people were going to revolt against them depending on how they answered. They're more concerned of what people think than what the truth is. Do you ever struggle with that? I know I do. I struggle with that a lot. By nature, I'm a people pleaser. 
but by the authority that has been given to me, I need to make sure that I'm making the proper, correct decisions. And I may make people upset, and I may make people angry, but I have to stick to the authority that's been given to me and stick to the truth. I had one of those this last week. I had somebody uh, send me um, a list of questions about what we believed as a church. End times eschatology. Lovely topic. I encourage you, read it. And then tell me what you understand. But I know that the probing questions that are being asked, well, depending on how I answer this, they may not want to come back to the church. Well, I have to speak the truth. And I battled that in my mind. I battled that hard in my mind. And at the end of the day, the Spirit spoke through me and said, Travis, answer the question the way that you know by the authority that has been given to you. Period. And how did I end it? I understand that I don't know everything even though my wife thinks that I do. (laughs) She's sitting back there going, oh my goodness. These people were afraid of getting put to death because they knew the authority that Jesus had. Since John pointed people to Christ, if they affirmed John, they had to accept who Jesus was. Recall, go back to John chapter 1, verse 29. What does, what does John the Baptist say? Jesus comes walking, and what does John the Baptist say? Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So if they say that John is from God, if they say John is a prophet, then they have to accept who Jesus is, and they don't want that. They were put in a rock and a hard place. John MacArthur writes, it's a package deal. You can't take John without Jesus, and you can't throw away Jesus without throwing away John. We learn from Jesus that absorbing questions, we must position to ask questions as well. And that leads us to the third step. We need to apply the conclusion apply the conclusion. We love to answer questions. We love to ask them, but how often do we actually apply it into our lives and put it into motion? Instead of answering, they tap out, right? Look at verse 33. We do not know. And Jesus said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. It's not that they didn't know the answer. It's that they didn't have the courage to put the answer into words. They did not want to acknowledge the authority of Jesus. Because those who accept Christ must live under his authority. If they are going to believe in Jesus, they must admit his authority. And they didn't want to bow down before anyone. If we admit who Jesus is, then we have to be under his authority. And we can't say, well, I know the Bible says this, but it doesn't work that way. If the Bible says this, that's what we're called to stick to. If the Bible calls us to do something and to follow something, and if Jesus says something, if Paul says something, if Peter says something, if James says something, that was given to them by the Holy Spirit, and we need to stick to it. There's no but. That doesn't work. Not with the Scripture. And we see that too often happening today because we don't want to be under the authority of anyone. And we have a nation, we have a world that doesn't want to be under the authority of anyone. And because people don't want to be underneath the authority of anyone, we say, but. Jesus said, but. The Bible says, but. I don't want to agree to that. 
Jesus is done talking to them. It's a terrible spot to be in, isn't it? All of a sudden, the voice of God goes silent. You know, that happened once before. For 500 years, God was silent. There were no prophets. There was no authority that was coming down. I'm here to tell you that is one of the scariest places to be in when God stops talking. But here's the thing. I want, please make sure you understand this because a lot of people, they'll, they'll come to me. I actually had a conversation this past Tuesday. Travis, I, I, think, I think God's just stopped talking to me and I said, you've just stopped listening. He's still there. But maybe you've severed the tie yourself. He never closes the door. He's always there. He's the one standing there knocking at the door, waiting for you to let him in. But will we allow him? You see, these leaders, they really don't want to know. So Jesus is done. He's not going to engage them any longer. If you refuse to believe the teachings of Jesus, there's a point when no further teaching will be given. So let's just break it down and have some practical applications to bring all of this together here this morning. If we say that we follow Jesus, we must live under his authority. And we need to practice questioning evangelism. These first three that we looked at, those are for us. But now, we need to turn it around and say, okay, how do I practically live this out in my life? Shortly before Jesus ascends into heaven and at the end of, of Mark, when we get um, into October and November, we're actually going to dig in to this a lot deeper of what Jesus actually says. But he gives the Great Commission. And he's going to, after he ascends, he's going to gather all of his disciples together and he's going to say to them, go. Now it's your turn to go with the gospel. Most of us are familiar with Matthew chapter 28, starting in verse 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. But let's go back to verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority, there's that word again, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. The key to accomplishing the great commission is that we must surrender to the authority of Jesus. If we want to have an impact, we must surrender to his authority. I often hear people say, well, um, I don't share my faith because I haven't been given the gift of evangelism. I hear other people say, well, um, I haven't been trained. Do we need training? Absolutely. Do we need to have that gift? Absolutely. But here's the thing. You've all been gifted to share. Sometimes it's just asking questions. And, and I hear other people say they're afraid. What if I don't have the answers? That's okay to not have all the answers. Because when you don't have all the answers, you say, you know what? I don't know, but hey, I've got, I've got my, my pastor um, that I'll text or I'll call, and I'm going to get the answer for, for you. Uh, um, um, I've got my youth leader, and, and I'm going to make sure that he helps get me the answer. I have elders at my church that I'm going to call, and I'm going to talk to, and I'm going to get you that answer that you need. We don't need to be afraid. In all of that, 
Here's the first thing that I'll say. It's not a gifting issue. It's a going issue. Too often we're just lazy. We're comfortable. We like the the holy huddle. We like the us for and no more mentality. But here's the thing. As a church, we are called to be a family, but there's always room for one more at the table. Please never forget that. But in order for there to be another chair pulled up, you need to share the message. You need to share the gospel. You need to invite them to come in and to be a part of it. Secondly, training is good, but you don't always have to have a ton of training to just ask questions. And third, you don't have to have all the answers. We talked about that. You don't have to have them all. In the book, Out of the Salt Shaker, it says that good evangelism is 60% asking questions, 30% building intrigue, and 10% sharing. You know, a lot of us like to hear ourselves talk. I'm one of those. Unless I'm recorded, then I don't like to hear my own voice. I don't know about you, but I do not like to hear myself, as long as it's up here. But sometimes we just need to shut up and be quiet. Ask the question and then let them respond. This past week, I, I was uh, put onto a book called Questioning Evangelism. It's written by Randy Newman. And in the book, uh, it's called Engaging People's Hearts the Way That Jesus Did. This is one of the things that he recounts. He recounts two students asking him if he believed everybody, was, everybody who disagreed with him was going to hell. Now, rather than answering the question and explaining the nuances of Christian theology, he asked them if they believed in hell. One of them said that they did. Newman then asked if Hitler was in hell. The student replied, of course, to which he responded by asking the student, how do you think God decides who goes to heaven and who goes to hell? Do you think God grades on a curve? Now this, because of asking these questions, it led to a deep discussion about the nature of God, the pervasiveness of sin, and the offer of forgiveness. His questions made clear that hell was an issue with which everyone needs to grapple. Every single one of us need to grapple with whether or not we're going to heaven or hell. There's no in-between. Hell isn't going to be some party. And we need Jesus Christ in order to get to heaven. But it starts by asking, excuse me, by asking questions. What we need to do is practice questioning evangelism. The second one is that we just need to give up our autonomy. We love to be it, for it to be about me. It's disheartening to realize how few Christians are living underneath of the absolute authority of the Lord. Too often, as I've said already today, we hear that word, but. God says, but. Too many of us, we don't want to follow um, what is 
written down. We don't want to follow the authority of Jesus. We want to have the Disney movie mantra, right? I'm just going to follow my heart. Following your heart is good, but we need to make sure that we know where it's taking us. Proverbs says there's a way that seems right to a man, but leads to folly. We have to be careful that we just don't follow ourselves. I have one last survey that I want to share with you. George Barna conducted a survey that contained seven questions. Seven questions to determine how many born-again believers have a Christian worldview. Here are the questions, seven questions. Do absolute moral truths exist? Is absolute truth defined in the Bible? Did Jesus Christ live a sinful life or sinless life? Sorry. Some people think the other way around, though. Um, Is God the all-powerful and all-knowing creator of the universe, and does he still rule it today? Is salvation a gift from God that cannot be earned? Is Satan real? Does a Christian have a responsibility to share his or her faith in Christ with other people? I'm hearing a lot of yeses. Here's the results, though. Almost one quarter of practicing Christians, 23%, strongly agree that what is morally right or wrong depends on what an individual believes. Not what the Bible says, not what God says, but what they believe in their own heart. One third of practicing Christians, 32%, strongly agree that if you do good, you will receive good, and if you do bad, you will receive bad. Here's the thing, that's karma, not Christianity. We need to be so careful with what the world is peddling us. We need to make sure that we are following the authority of the scripture that is laid out in front of us. Do we have a biblical worldview? As Christians, we must have that. At the end of the day, it ultimately comes down to an authority issue. Where does our authority come from? I like what A.W. Tozer once said. He said, we need preachers who preach that hell's still hot, heaven's still real, sin's still strong, the Bible is God's word, and Jesus is the only way to salvation. I hope I'm doing that. I pray every single week that the message hits you in the heart, hits you in the soul, but it's not my words. As I stand over there every single Sunday morning, I pray that the Holy Spirit speak to your heart as only he can. And I pray that it is a biblical sermon and there's no buts within any of that. If you're here today and you have never accepted the authority and the power of Jesus, today is that day that you can have him as your Lord and Savior. I'm going to be in the back and I would love to talk to you about what that looks like. If you're already someone who has given their life to Christ, you've believed, you've repented, you've been baptized, but you're struggling with some sin in your life. And you need someone to speak with to to help get you back on the right path. Here's the awesome part. You don't need to come to me or one of the elders to be forgiven. You have direct access because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. But if you need someone to talk to, I'm here. 
Justin's here, Jared's here, the elders are here, we'd love to talk with you. If you would like to make this your home church and say, I want to be a part of this family, today can be that day as well. We're going to take communion. I'm going to pray here in just a second. If you haven't had a chance to get it, it's on the back two tables and on the sides. Now is the opportunity for you just to lay all of your burdens, all of your cares, all of your worries, everything that you're struggling with. I want you to just lay it at the foot of the cross. Give it to him. Ask for his forgiveness. Today can be that day that you accept him, maybe even for the very first time. Let's pray. Almighty Father, I thank you for allowing us to come and to worship you, to love the way that you have first loved us. Father, I pray that we remember whose authority we have, and it's not our own, but it is truly your power, your authority. Let us never forget that. And Father, I just pray and ask that you be with us as we as we continue our worship of lifting praise up before you, as we partake of communion, and if there is someone here today who, who needs to accept you, they need prayer in their life, they need someone to talk to, that they will not hesitate to do so. Father, allow us to always remember that it is about you and not about us. We pray this in your son's most holy and precious name. Amen.